preferences. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, was... Greetings, Parish Orphans of Retrogrades. Timothy Gordon here with a special interview, uh, a friend of the program who comes on from time to time, Dan Burke. Dan has a new book out, and it is relevant to something that I wanted to talk to Dan about anyway. It's called The Devil in the Castle from the premier Catholic book publisher, Sophia Institute Press. Dan, thanks for coming back on the show with me, my friend. Oh, it's, it's great to be with you. It's great to be with you. It's a lot of fun. Appreciate all the good work you do. Thanks, Dan. How are you uh, recovering? People out there sent up a lot of prayers for you over the past uh, months. I'm grateful. I'm, I'm always dipping into that prayer pool, you know. Yeah, my, you... My, uh, St. Francis of Assisi called his body brother ass, and, and I totally get it. I, I've adopted the same name. It's just not my friend. But then I do stupid things and end up with my head in the concrete, and that doesn't work, you know. So uh, especially at 57 or whatever age I am. I'm Holy doing God. great. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, are you, you're, we're, we're going to figure out by the end of the interview, whether you're actually 57, we're going to ascertain okay. that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 65. I was born in 65. I don't know, but, uh, so I don't, you do the math. <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly great to have you with us and you know, we're, we just appreciate all of the work you do in the spiritual realm and the way that you live it is impressive because you and I text behind the scenes and, um, I know as a matter of fact that you believe this stuff. So we're going to get into, in today's show, the devil in his attacks. This comes specially from, from, uh, from St. Teresa of Avila. Mm -hmm. uh, as he attacks people who are trying to pray at home or at church or wherever. And it's frightening to behold the fact that this is not just, we're talking about Father Stu a little bit before I started rolling tape here. And it's not as simple as converts or reverts when they're first back to the faith assume. It's not just like, hey, I, I watched a Mark Wahlberg interview and he was like, hey, I've you know, come back around to the faith and things just go so well now. I'm like, oh man, well, that's great. It's great to have you back in the faith, Mark, but that, it, sincerely, but that's not how it works. Things actually get in some ways more complicated mm -hmm. when one sets out to start praying more seriously. And you, together with St. Teresa of Avila, Dan, you set out exactly what the sevenfold path is. That sounds Buddhist or something, but what the, what the seven steps, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah. Better, you know? <laughs> yeah. Thomas, Thomas Merton would be proud. Um, <laughs> no, you, you set it out and it's all shockingly yet, comfortingly specific. So we're going to get into that in a second, how the devil attacks us at prayer. And I noticed some very specific things that have long happened to me. And I'm, I'll even be honest with people, though I'm, I'm not proud about some of them. First, I just want to remind folks of a few things. Steph's book is going to be re-released. Uh, Dan's lovely wife, Stephanie. Dan Stephanie will... Uh, her name will reappear as endorsement on Steph's Ask Your Husband, which should be re-released in between two and three weeks uh, under the self-published imprint. So get that. If you want to support the show, get that book when it comes back out, Ask Your Husband from, from uh, self-published uh, imprint, which will be ours. Also, my book, The Case for Patriarchy, 
is still out. It's still in its debut six months, barely. And I haven't pushed it that hard. So you can really support this show by buying our two books in honor of today's show and today's guest by the devil in the castle. As long as you're at uh, Sophia Institute Press's homepage where you can buy their great books. Also support this program on Patreon, Timothy J. Gordon on Patreon. I told you the spiritual combat would begin in earnest for Steph and I, not when my book came out, it came out four months before Steph's anti-feminism book, but when Steph's did and, and came, it did. So you, you can support us by buying the books when Steph's is re-released and also just more directly on Patreon. Also in the realm of spiritual combat, there is a reading group of Windswept House that many have joined, many are joining. We have the first hundred pages meeting tomorrow, not on my channel, but on Quite Frankly. Can I ask you uh, a question about that, Tim? Yeah, let's do so, it. Now, I thought I heard you and Taylor kind of dismantling, I thought, uh, this the, the author. Malachi Martin, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Martin. Are you, uh, have you come to a more favorable position uh, on his credibility? Yeah, I addressed this a couple shows ago. Um, I... I, I, a few things have happened over the past five years that have, in my view, rehabilitated uh, Martin's reputation, which isn't to say that that's the funny thing about reputations, isn't it? It's not that the, that the reputation caught up to the world. It's that the world caught up to a, a man's reputation yeah, uh, among, among his well-wishers. So yeah. yeah, it's not that, that Malachi Martin was wrong until I figured out that he was, and it's, you know, Schrodinger's cat uh, or something. I, I actually just figured out, well, he seems to be, uh, have been vindicated a couple years ago by a story that broke by a woman in the American Midwest who claimed that she was, uh, uh, I'm forgetting what the girl's, little girl's name is, Judith or something, the, 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 from the, the black mass. And, that that got me looking at Martin again. And mm. the more I've looked at it, and the more I've talked to some people that knew him and had dinner with him lots, Charles Coulomb, uh, a friend of mine who also knew Martin, I've just said, wow, I, I'm having another look at it, particularly with this Vatican, particularly with uh, the Ukraine and Russia and all of the um, happenings there, the, the, the consecration being revisited. But, but really, the, the unique role that Malachi Martin said uh, Russia would play in the world, and he, he mentioned U Kiev a lot and all, all the, the corruption in Ukraine with the, the puppet government there and, of course, all that's going on in Russia. It made me look at it a lot the past two months. And my friend, quite frankly, good New Yorker that he is, who seems to be um, interested in Fatima and coming, coming back into the church, he'd describe himself as a lapsed Catholic. He's doing this big reading group. And I just said, this is very timely. So anyone out there who'd like to join us in the Malachi Martin windswept house reading group. Yes, I have, I have walked back the criticism on Martin and uh, to the extent, whatever extent I was wrong, that's on me. <laughs> that's, that's not on him. Yeah. Thank, thank you for uh, uh, bringing that up, Dan. It, it, it helps people to get, get the clarity that I, I do. I do walk back some of the things that that I said uh, on Marshall's program. Life online and in recording, it's tough. It's a challenge when you're intellectually honest and and, uh, and pursuing the truth. 
it's it's a lot of processing, right? And sometimes you get it right, and hopefully most of the time, sometimes you get it wrong, and you gotta you gotta own it. I've certainly done that, so it's good. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I mean, like, look, I'm, I'm I mean, I still say I don't think these two notions, intellectual humility, uh, you know, admitting when you're wrong, and um, a, a bit of the word is pride. We 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 Christians have that as a sin, but being proud of having a high free throw percentage, if you will, you know, the amount of times you got it wrong. I don't, I don't think those things are locked in any kind of tension. It's like, Hey, you know, they're the, no one shoots hundred percent free throws. Uh, no one ever has in the history of the NBA, but uh, you know, it's, it's, you'd rather be that in that, that uh, 40, 50, 90 club where you're shooting 90, 90% free throws. That's that stands for excellence. Excellence does not require perfection. Now I heard you were a basketball player. Given you're using these, these is that true? Yeah, no, yeah. I'm a, how, I was a serious how, basketball. How tall are you? How tall are you? I'm only six one, but uh, I was a I was a formidable scoring point guard. Can you can you, uh, can, you can you dunk the ball? I could back in the day, but I my my yeah. hands. Yeah, I, I could in tenth grade when I was five ten, but it was yeah. it was a ladies ball I could dunk. Uh, uh, that's funny. I I I have uh, decent sized hands, and so. Uh, I was I was okay in basketball, but I I had I didn't have uh, what they call white man's disease. I could jump, <laughs> yeah. And I, I slammed. The, I did a I dunked once in a game, stole the ball from the point guard at the top of the key, and uh, and put it in. But um, wow! But That's most totally. of the time, I ended up on my back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, were you a two? If you were a two-legged jumper. Well, that's how you wind up on your back. I was a one-legged jumper. That's how they're teaching us to do it in the '90s. But yeah, if you hit the rim hard and it's right in front, you know, you still go depending on how fast you're heading in. But anyway, yeah, good. How tall were you, Dan? Five ten. That's I'm shrinking now, but I'm still five ten. Oh wow! And you, yeah, to put to put it in in a game. No, I never, I knew never, uh, never bashed, never threw down in in a game in a game situation. No, I couldn't do it if I was being guarded. I was just free. I, I steal the ball at the top of the key. Right. You know, break right away. Sense. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, that's a new thing I know about you. Also, you it feel, feel completely at ease, completely comfortable. As I tell anyone who comes on the show, friend like you or first timer, or even um, foe who's a first timer criticize away. Like I remember um, you watch, I think most of our programs and after the, why we are not pro-life show yeah i got had, a pro-life had... uh, license plate bro <laughs> well yeah so what you, you didn't i mean you're always very complimentary but but you don't need to be here what what didn't you didn't like that show or you didn't like some of the things i said i'm i'd love for for people out there to see that uh smart smart criticizers of the show are, are always welcome to level it and level it publicly i, I don't even remember exactly what it was but if you'd like to level those things before we get into the devil of the castle. Sure. I uh, mean, you just, I think you broad brush the pro-life movement as a failure. And I, I don't have a dog in the hunt. I mean, I, I've protested before abortion clinics. I've never been arrested. I've been to the March in DC. I've written about it and certainly ran a, you know, national, national Catholic register, which was super, you know, very, very pro-life. <clears throat> but, um, I've watched friends go to jail over it, um, watch, you know, Delighton uh, suffer huge legal bills. I know they're getting paid for, but, you know, there's always this threat of him ending up in jail or whatever. 
certainly right. his rights being violated. That's that's clear. And I just see the sacrifice <clears throat> of so many of these people. And I think it's better <clears throat> with your intellect to be more specific about the weaknesses. Like, as an example, disunity is a real problem in the pro-life movement. I mean, funny, it's, unity is a, is, a, is a virtue of it in terms of Catholic, Protestant, you know, that sort of thing. But disunity among, you know, powerful leaders in the, in the movement is really destructive. And I've seen that. That's a valid critique. I think there are people who, who uh, have what I would call infiltration tech approach, People have a legal approach, people have a protest approach, and, and they shouldn't be criticizing each other. Um, they ought to just respect the different strategies because we need them all, right? We need, we need the heartbeat bill and we need you know, the, pain, the pain bill and we need all of that. But Poor I point. think with your intellect, I just didn't think it was up to your standard. I think you have the ability to be super clear and specific and, and you broad brushed it and, and I didn't like it. I sent you a text. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, uh, I appreciated when you were like, dude, what about Delayden? I mean, yeah. David Delayden's one of one of like hero, my heroes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, OK, well, that that's very helpful to, to feed, you know, hear feedback from people. I get all kinds of texts after shows, especially after bigger shows that that's one I just love to put out there. Yeah. When I said I don't call myself pro-life and I, I still don't, but I, I'm, I'm anti-abortion and I think the movement needs more of the abolitionist spirit. You know? By the way, I agree with that too. I, I'm, not a, I'm not in any way opposed to that. I think it's an interesting idea. It's a good jostling of the way people think. I like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What you said, what you said by text, it was, it was very fair. But I was like, no, that doesn't mean that for 50 years or actually 50 plus years, the anti-abortion movement, which is, I think at, at times really, really been ineffectual, doesn't mean that every moment of it has been. There have been real heroes. You know a lot of them. Father. Oh, yeah. Father Allen. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, for sure. So many. But David Delighton, great dude. I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting him and we, we actually share a lawyer. So, um I love I love him and I've I've looked up to him since long before I met him uh, as as someone leading the way and someone leading the way with retrograde tactics. I mean, what what he's being mm -hmm. persecuted and prosecuted for is absolutely amazing. And my, my, yeah, yeah, and, and really smart too. Really smart and really plucky, and that's mm -hmm. what you need. That smart ain't much in 2022 without pluck, and pluck ain't much without intelligence in 2022. You need them yeah. both together. All I all what I really meant to critique, which I, I do agree with you, was underspecified. Um, there's not usually a, a shortcoming of this program. It's where we're not going for the red meat crowd because you make here a big, exciting critique. And then you say, OK, but now here are three nuances to it. And it doesn't completely defang the critique. That's not the intent. I like I like big critiques as big as they can be while accurate. But the, the nuances are usually something I think the show does that that show. Maybe maybe got away from it a little bit, but here's what I meant. Um, I think I think you'll agree with it. You you just can't make anti-abortion so big tent that it is you know that it invites its enemies into the tent, and and the enemies, uh, I mean the ones who gave us abortion are the feminists. The one who keep abortion going are the feminists. And and when I've been to the pro-life rallies, the West Coast one in San Francisco, it's like 
that's the first thing you see is just all the signs they're handing out are feminists for life, this, that, the other thing. That that doesn't work. That squarely doesn't work. You cannot have uh, slave-owning plantation owners for abolition of slavery. Or something. You might be able to have former slave slave owners or whatever for that have converted you don't want too large a contingent of them being in the leadership or, or really maybe even any of them being in the leadership but you can have those people attending the rallies but i'm talking about i still am a feminist but i'm pro-life that's that's a huge contingent at okay. these rallies and it doesn't work it's interesting so one i want to affirm what you something you said about leadership but i i actually saw it as a victory when i was i've only been to one march uh, in DC <clears throat> happened to be one of the coldest ones in history, which was a real delight. But the, I was walking at one point between two people who said, uh, lesbians for life, you know, the signs. And I thought we're winning. And why would I think that now I want them, I want them to know the fullness of sexuality in terms of God's design, there's no doubt about that. But they're surrounded by thousands of fervent Christians and they're marching with them and being influenced by them. There's no way they're influencing Christians, Catholics who get in buses and go and march. No way, I don't think. <laughs> so I, I saw that as a sign of victory and I, my suspicion, I didn't talk to them. I suspect that victory stemmed from the... Uh, the three-dimensional uh, ultrasound, you know, movement, which I had a little, uh, a, I, I'm not instrumental in any of it, but I, I was involved with some of that with folks on the family when I worked there. So I see that as victory. I would say, though, of course, no Christian institution should, they should, those people should be welcome to the table as people that, you know, Jesus would welcome to the table, for conversation, welcome to walk side by side with a Christian and talk about, well, you know, why aren't you all the way in? I mean, you, you're here, you see God created life. I mean, well, you know, I think that's all good. I, I don't see that as a negative sign. So where, where are we in disagreement on that? Well, I mean, lesbianism isn't really an ism. I mean, don't, don't go ask Milo Yiannopoulos on this one. He says they don't exist, but it's not a real ism, right? It's not an ideology, whereas, um, you know, it's just someone that's like, hey, I'm still struggling with this sin or maybe not that struggling that hard against it, but I, I wanted to come to, a, to a, a walk for life on a basically unrelated sin where I'm, I'm not struggling with the perspective. That's not what it is to allow Christianity's number one opponent mm. in, in the history of mankind. It's the feminists, the original sin. Not Fem socialism, not socialist. I'd no, socialism. Not, not by a long shot. Socialism is modern, right? Feminism is the original sin. Feminism wow. is the fundamental attack on the single cell of a society. Feminism is Adam and Eve. It, it, is the, it is so much more fundamental than all the other subversive leftisms. And, Dan, number two, it's preponderated. It's preponderated. Look at, look at the response. Look at the freak treatment the case for patriarchy uh, received. Look at the treatment even more so. Uh, poor Steph here, her, her book, 
has received. It's like this, it is complete. Feminism is completely preponderated. It's the original sin. And with all of these establishment, even right-wing establishment Catholic institutions, it's considered the third rail. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been told everything in email by, by good establishment Catholics. Like, look, man, I agree with you. I just, this is so much crazier than even writing a, in anti-homosexualism or transsexualism book, because all these women are working, all these women are this, all these women. So it's infiltration into the ranks of uh, pro-life. And the feminists gave us abortion. So they, they do bear a unique role in that as well, not just sin writ large. It's it's a little different than than all of us being sinners, lesbians being more public sinners and more grave sinners. That's different. But um I mean, so the then, devil so is would, an you would, you would equate it to pre- pedophiles for life. Right. That's uh, what it is. Right. So that's it's so pedophiles for purity or something. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So I get it. I understand. But I, I think that's a good carve out, though. I mean, I, 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 th- I think even with that, I say we're winning because of that. Um, but there needs to be a fuller conversion and we need not we need not. I mean, we wouldn't, I, I, I do think if I was in charge of a local thing and pedophiles for life showed up, I'd be going, you guys need to get out of here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a line somewhere. And right. uh, sometimes it's a little hard to articulate where the line in the sand ought to be. Okay. Les- lesbians for life. That I think that actually is a thing. It's like, that's probably nearer to the, I, I, I'd put that nearer to the line than some. I'm not even sure where I'd come out on that, but definitely it's, it's not, there's not as much inherent uh, a- a- anti-pethy uh, between yeah. those two positions. Anyway, I mean, I, I should have said it in the show and I'm, I'm, I'm a better man for having you pointed it out. I want to, I want to bring this around to the great infiltrator who is the devil. And one thing I've noted, Dan, as a, um, I won't say lifelong hypochondriac, but as one who, you know, as long as Abby's been alive, our, our daughter was born in Rome. Our first daughter was born in Rome. I've been a hypochondriac for a decade and a half. And I go through real stru- times of struggle with it uh, where it's real bad, uh, almost, almost like, almost like a mental health issue. Um, when, and I get most attacked when I'm praying, I start feeling Mm-hmm. my body for tumors and this is when I'm really bad. And this is, it's been really bad. The more time we've spent in children's hospitals, I've, I've had some real throws of it. I get it bad when I'm trying to pray. And you talk about this. There are seven mansions that, mm-hmm. that St. Teresa speaks of, and you go deeper into the castle. Yeah. And the first one is for, for I, I want to talk the most about um, the, the sort of most extrinsic mansion it's for people that are trying to basically get any kind of prayer life and they keep getting distracted with worldly cares, interests, or fears when they start to pray. I, I, I hope I'm not at the first of seven, but, but if I am, it's all still more detailed and more difficult than, than the common Christian assumes. So, so maybe even someone that's known as a Catholic thought leader is at the beginning of seven. Well, I mean, you know, the, the other way I divide it up in the book is the purgative illuminative immunitive, which is a classical um, Dionysian model. Right. Um, which are the key. Chapter three. Yeah. The phases of uh, spiritual development and the beginning phase, the purgative ways is, is what you're talking about. Um, 
and and purgative people in the purgative way are called beginners, and that may rightly be, you know, where you are. But the, the thing is, though, you're not hanging out at the edge of the castle near the door, right? That's so that's really good. Uh, and uh, the purgative way, in the purgative way, people can be rightly termed as holy or making a lot of progress. The key question is, are we going from good to better in a substantive manner? Would Stephanie say, my husband is a better husband this year than last year, better father this year than last year? You know, because the number one measure of spiritual progress is love. Right. Uh, so, and prayer, of course, is outside of the sacraments, mental prayer in particular, which Teresa talks about, is the most powerful means of coming to healing uh, coming to um, purification that only happens when we are in the presence of the King of Kings in that way. And so the enemy is like, do not, you know, it's, it's funny, another critic, another critique I have, and you and I and Dave talked about it, but it was really brief. It was a long time ago was I think in the rules for retrogrades, one of them needs to be, you know, a prayer life. Um, yeah. And Dave said, I remember it in the show vividly because I thought, ah, uh, he doesn't talk. To, he doesn't, he's not a spiritual director, not criticizing Dave, by the way. But he said, oh, everybody prays. I'm like, no, no, no. You know, even Father Ripperger, of course, FSSP now working on his own order, deeply yeah. entrenched in the, in the, in the, in the traditionalist movement says traditionalists by and large do not practice mental prayer. Right. Yeah. And, and he criticizes them in a big way. I'm I'm in that same camp with with Father Ripperger, not in, in that opinion, but in the in more in the traditionalist side. And so, yeah, the enemy doesn't want you to be free of what you struggle with, what you describe very transparently, uh, because he knows when you get free of that, he can't he can't use it against you anymore. And then you're going to focus more fully on God and more fully on all the things you need to. So he, he's going to, every time you go to prayer, he's going to use that. And I would just, if I would suggest to you, one thing you can do in that is, yeah. is, is offer that suffering up against whatever the enemy's primary aim ends are. And for people, you know, need that need salvation. Cause then you're, then you're doing this great thing. You're not just resisting, but now you're you're becoming militant against the gates of hell because of their prodding, and they're not stupid. They'll stop if you persist. Yeah, yeah. It, on uh, page fourteen, I just want to read a passage so uh, those who have not yet picked up this great book, "Devil in the Castle," have a chance to do so. This is the context against which I, I made this remark and this question for Dan. Uh, Teresa also reveals that souls outside the castle, this is the first mansion, come into familiar relationship with reptiles and other creatures to be found in the outer court and spooky yeah. stuff. Yeah, This relationship is one in which the demon's regular influence causes a kind of familiarity and acceptance of the demon's temptations, though the soul might not be aware of the demonic source. As an example, a demon might regularly suggest that the soul is hungry each time it sits down to pray. And for me, it's not hunger. It might be the hypochondria, and it's not each time, but it's many times. Mm -hmm. Or he might offer another distraction when the soul is inclined towards some other healthy spiritual urge. And that is what it is. It's an appetite. Such as refraining from swearing or avoiding the company of people who make one feel degraded after the fun is over. You, you put it really nicely here. And 
uh, St. Teresa, it, it's, it's frightening to read some because it's so familiar. Mm-hmm. Some of the symptomology that she offers for this is why your guy's prayer life is crummy because they're all so familiar. Yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, one of the things I love about her and she it's, it's why she brought me into the church, you know, is that uh, she is so stinking practical and really yeah. like if you met her, she would not be this sort of pious floaty around person. I mean, she, this is the same woman who, who, who basically yelled at God when she fell in the mud and said, look, if this is how you treat your stupid friends, it's no wonder you have so many enemies. What's wrong with you, right? A good, she's a good, she had Jewish Judaism in her heritage, right? Jews are kind of known for arguing with God. And so she has this, this woman was feisty. She made fun of John of the Cross's height, you know, uh, and she was funny. Brutal. She was sarcastic. Yeah. Um, so she, I think, you know, she'd be on a show like this if she was around today. Yeah. Hopefully she'd be, uh, Hopefully, I'd, at six one, I would escape her her height, her altitudinally based bars. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't. Maybe not if I'm trying to play professional basketball. Six one is a midget. Uh, okay, she, this is another great part on that exact uh, tip. Uh, this two pages before, but the demon's goal, you write, Dan, is to keep the soul in a kind of vague, superficial, ineffectual pseudo relationship to God. One that doesn't compel it to do much more than be nice to others and think well of itself. People like uh, Michael Boris at Church Militant call this the Church of Nice. Right. That came from originally, by the way, from I found out C.S. Lewis, just interestingly, a side note. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, uh, the, right. the demons are very happy with nice Christians, but not Christians who are ready to become brave warriors standing against the demons and nefarious cause. Now, see, a lot of people in, in the audience will be shaking their heads and, you know, because because we have a lot of overlap with church militant viewers. So it's like, yeah, church and nice, I guess it's the C.S. Lewis uh, coinage originally that, yeah, this is bad, but we're, we're not we're not among the church of nice people. And it's like, all of us are in danger of that, even if we oppose the softness of the USCCB or something. We can all be Church of Nice, which is the trick that St. Saint Ka- uh, Teresa and you, Dan, are admonishing to keep our eyes on of the devils. Is like, oh, yeah, well, you know, sometimes I don't do enough mental prayer, but I'm a trad. I don't do Church of Nice. It's like, no, you don't do, and I mean me, Tim, you don't do enough mental prayer. And you're actually church of nice, except with your own people. Now, now no. you're just, you're, you're, you're too com- complacent and, and maybe not challenging enough of your own people. Even we do that, right? Oh, no, I love it. And, and you know, she's preconciliar, right? Uh, and she even laments all the abuse that's happening at the time and the irreverence in mass in her writings. This is, pre- this is, this is 16th century. This is the height of a revival in the church, right? Right. So no, you're dead on target, uh, dead on target. Because you know, I remember I won't I won't say who it was, because he's sort of fallen a bit. But there was a major player uh, who's no longer in the spotlight in the traditionalist movement. And I, he and I got into it publicly, unfortunately, and I apologize. We kind of patched it up, but um, we had some private, you know, struggling. And and I, you know, one time I said, look, dude, you know. You, you, the rubrics are not God. 
the rubrics lead you to God. The mass is not God. The mass leads you to God. Yeah. It's a means. The end is union with him. And he just, it's, it was funny. And, and, and I really like the guy. And so I'm not speaking ill of him if he would happen to be listening. But I wanted to say the reason you struggle so much and the reason you're just so perpetually pissed off is because you don't know him. He, he, because you're not supposed to, you're, you're, you're right about so many things. But, you know, Matthew 7, 22 says, hey, you're, you're, let me tell you about your judgment. You're right about this. You're right about this. You're right about this. And I'm going to say, I don't know you. Right? right. So if, if that, if all of the, the this is, you know, I you know, add orientum, incense, receiving, kneeling on the tongue, you know, you, you list it. You can get yeah. all of that right and go to hell. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that was the first insight I had reading your book, Dan, I think I finished the first chapter and I thought to myself, wow, the standard's really, really high. And I've had this reading other good spiritual material, which mm -hmm. I probably need to read more of. I think the last one I read was your last book. And it's like, wow, the standard's really high. And, and that exact passage in Matthew came to mind. It's like, oh yeah, the, the God doesn't judge as the world judges. It's not like, well, I go to, I go to Latin mass and as a bonus, as a kicker to sell the deal. I'm a guy that goes to the Latin mass and is pretty serious about, you know, devotions at, at, at liturgy. And yet I'm not, I don't think I fall into the camp of being overly judgmental of people dressed in maybe board shorts too often because I'm one of them. So, so I got those two things working for me, but it's like, wow, it's just, there are like 10 more criteria that I am failing at. And that's, that's hard. That's sincerely for a man who takes ideas seriously like myself that's a hard swallow but it's i, and I have to say that's so encouraging that you said that because what that shows is god is at work in you right number one and you listen when he moves and that's beautiful but i was my hope and prayer with books like these is to say you know when jesus said take up your cross and follow me it meant something it, it and it meant usually a lot more than we 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 we, we think it means you know, we, we, and we like to take saints and sort of sanitize them. I always, I always laugh when people say, well, I, I, I just follow Therese's little way. I'm like, okay, great. So that means only vegetables, no meat ever. You use the discipline every Wednesday. That means you flagellate yourself to, with, to extreme pain. You don't wear shoes. You don't have air conditioning. You don't have running water. Aren't you an amazing hero, right? <laughs> because you follow this sim simple version of Catholicism. It, it, it's look, I mean, think about it, right? Tim, you know this. Uh, one of the great things about the, 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 the chosen, sans the issues with Mary, is it gives people kind of an idea of well, like, what would it have been like? Yes. All these guys left everything. These women left everything to follow him. Everything, you know, and, and we're always parsing up especially men. Well, you know, I'll, I'll do, I'll do mass and I'll do confession once a year, but you know, and that's good. Jesus didn't ask for part of us. He asked for all of us. It, you know, you, you're either all in or you're not in at all. Right. And that doesn't, that's not a judgment, you know, to, to those of us who are, you know, still working at getting all the foundational uh, uh, disciplines that, that, 
properly orient us in in the entirety of our being to the cross. Yeah. Right. So uh, we're all in different places of where we're we're working that out. So I'm not judging, but the standard is very high, and and uh, we should be doing everything in our power um, to to understand what is what does it mean to be an authentic disciple of Jesus, and how do I configure myself to that reality uh, every day, every hour, every minute, and it's not it's not a dour existence. I mean, you already know that. Yeah, it's a joyful existence, but it's but it's not easy. Yeah, it's just not as easy as it seems, even to a bunch of trads or mostly trad, whatever you call my audience. Uh, even to a bunch of trads, it's like it's still harder than the bill of gold, goods that were being sold. It's always it's much, 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 much harder than your typical, you know, typical cultural Catholic is figuring because of what he's been sold much harder than, than the, the, the church I've criticized 90 seconds away from my, my neighborhood. You know, when we, when we don't go to the Latin mass in new Orleans, we're here and it's like, you know, the, these are the kinds of people here are being told that it's okay to divorce, that it's, it's being strongly insinuated. It's okay to contracept things like that. It's like, Whoa, it's just a, a different world. It's like moral theology you're not even being sold Catholicism at all. But then, so people like us, I guess this is the recurring theme. People like us, Dan, me and you, that take stuff seriously. And if we live in this world, I guess even professionally, you'd call it, uh, we think about it day and night. We're like, holy cow, even I'm not getting that there are just way more standards here. I'm like the people that I was feeling so high and mighty over, uh, you know, that, that didn't even know you're not allowed to contracept as a Catholic because the church is embarrassed about it. You know, like we're, we're like that just with other slightly deeper issues. And that's, that's how the structure of St. Teresa's seven mansions works. And that's how the structure of your book works. Um, it's always a little difficult to do justice to the chapters, but you're going to more and more and more uh, insulated inward mansions where the standard is getting higher as you move from uh the the purgative way in in chapter three you deal with the old the old uh framework of the three ways generally recognized by doctors of the cross aquinas john of the cross the purgative way the illuminative way and the unitive way i like how on, on page 43 here dan you correspond the purgative way, the sort of outside with the first three mansions, mediocre mm-hmm. piety, then intermittent piety, then sustained piety. The middle way, the illuminative way, it corresponds with fervor uh, and relative perfection. And then the final, the unitive way, uh, corresponds with heroic perfection and complete sanctity. Can you offer us a quick, because this is a roadmap, a quick sort of summative uh yeah, I mean, I, I, what I'm trying to do here, and roadmap is a good word, is so much because the church is so occupied with things that don't matter, uh, like, and, and forgive me if I'm hitting a hot button for you, I, don't, I can't remember your position on it, but like, are we wearing masks or not, you know, uh, uh, instead of is Jesus really truly present in the, you know, in the, sac- in the holy sacrifice of the mask? Um, we're so obsessed with so many things that are meaningless, getting involved in politics, you know, a lot of things that we shouldn't. We've really overlooked helping the people of God understand what does it truly mean to follow Jesus? What is authentic discipleship? 
And so what I've done is I've taken a, a survey of the spiritual masters of the church and created a framework that says, you know, pretty much all the saints are going to agree at phase one, these are the, these are the characteristics of the phase. And it's similar, Tim, you know, you've had a number of kids and you, you, you know, when they're toddlers, they fill their diapers when they're adolescents, they don't, or you have to get special care. So what it does is it gives you that kind of diagnostic framework. You can go, well, you can look at it and go, well, this is true about me and this is not. Okay, well, I'll, I'll pursue that one. And, and I think one thing is important to say, we're not Pelagians, right? So you said, we're talking about how hard it is, nor are we Jansenists. What, yeah. what we are is people who are saying, yes, it's hard, and yes, the bar is perfection, but he also corresponds with grace at each level. And, and when you look at this framework and this roadmap, what you're doing, each time you say yes to one of those realities, you are availing yourself of the grace of God, and he's going to meet you in that reality. So the moment you say, I want to practice mental prayer, yes, it's going to be hard, but he's going to correspond with the grace that you need. You know, uh, my, one of my favorite passages, James 4, 7, you know, resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Every time you draw near to God, he's already been working on you to get you to do it. And then he's going to fall. That's a promise that you have that desire. So the framework gives you a diagnostic, for instance, mediocre priority. It, it speaks about how frequent mortal sin is, how typically frequent venial sin is, how a person reacts to suffering, avoids it and experiences complete disruption of peace and suffering, and then the progress of how a person deals with suffering later on. So a person can go, yeah, wow, that's me. And okay, what do I do? You know, and I and God be praised. This is the, the awesome thing about the Catholic faith. The answer to that question is, is uh, in the lives of the saints and in the magisterial teaching of the church. What of the old critique that I think makes a lot of sense, even though it's ultimately wrong, it finds itself in the objections of St. Thomas, or at least in the, uh, the shorter summa, Thomas rejects it. What of the critique that it's sort of capricious that someone who's of mediocre piety sits down and says, I'm going to lock myself in a closet for a half hour and just do mental prayer, even though I don't do enough of this. If he were struck by a hypothetical bolt of lightning right after the first time he did that mental prayer, even though he is uh, only uh, pious in a mediocre sense, then that would be good luck, right? Because he just did the right thing. Let's say he was in a state of grace. He's just come from confession. He never had to build the Aristotelian habit for uh, moving up to the illuminative way. And, uh, and he just kind of lucked out. If you die immediately after you try it, you're lucky. What about the other mediocre piety Christians who try it once, then abandon it, forget it. They go on to live a life and they, they die in some sort of uh, state of lack of serious grace. And they, they're not as lucky, right? What if the capriciousness or the randomness of that? I, I've always struggled with that. You know, I, it's a bigger moral theology issue, I guess. Yeah. You know, my dad died recently and I, God be praised. I was able to baptize him and he received the sacraments and, and uh, uh, apostolic pardon and all of that. And, and that sort of prompted some of my thinking because he, he was a decent guy, but you know, most of his life he lived 
shrugging his shoulders at God. And the priest told me, his great priest, he was a former Navy SEAL, perfect guy to be with my dad and all of his, yes, yes. his, his prowess with the F word uh, yes. and his toughness, you know. Um, and he said, most people die how they live. The question is, at death, what is the trajectory of your soul? Fundamentally, what is the trajectory of your soul? Is, are you, you know, people don't, my dad is a rare exception, right? And this guy lives in a kind of retirement community. This priest lives in a retirement, ministers in a retirement community. And people just don't generally change the constant decisions they've made and reverse that at death. So the question is, then what is the, what is the trajectory of Tim Gordon's soul if, if, you know, the first time he tries mental prayer, you know, then he dies? Well, I mean, the trajectory is, there's a that, there's a million yeses to God, you know. There's a there's a preponderance of affirmations of whatever He calls you to, whatever's clear to you. You respond to with "I want to follow you." I I think you're going to be fine. Of course, assuming you're not in, you don't die in mortal sins. So I don't know if that's the answer you're looking for, but I think that is a good representation of both the mercy of God and our responsibility. If the preponderance of of Responses to God in your life are no, your trajectory is hell, right? It's not hard. Uh, we just don't know. We don't see it. You know, we can't, we can't even judge ourselves very well. So I don't know. You know, I may have failed the Aquinas test. I don't know. No, I don't think you did. I just, I've always, you know, we've we talked about basketball. It tends to be my main metaphor for those uh, parish orphans and retrogrades out there who listen to this show regularly. I, I go to basketball a lot because it's something I know better than most of the stuff I talk about. I, I know the game of basketball, uh, you know, as well or better than I know uh, Aquinas's thought or Aristotle's. And um, in basketball, you can always check in. There's a quanta for are we ahead by nine? Is the, did we go into halftime tied? Do we go down by nine into halftime? You know, we're, we're going to have to adjust our game accordingly. It feels a bit unfair, Dan, that the spiritual life is so unquantifiable. Well, I mean, doesn't it? I, I, well, but I can give you some quantifiable stuff, right? Um, yeah. As an example, the normal progress in relation to the battle with sin. Uh, first, first big battle is against habitual mortal sin. Uh, yes. Second big battle is against habitual venial sin before you escape the purgative way, right? Those yes. are super tangible. Now, you yes. can be delusional, but usually somebody who's going to achieve those, uh, overcome those, is going to have a director and somebody outside. You have a wife who's also uh, seeking to be a disciple of Jesus. So, you know, who can be an objective uh, mirror to you. But I think those are the e things that are most tangible to look to. Those are as close to a score of the game as you can get. Now, quantifying love is harder, but I, I, you can ask Stephanie after the show and she'll be able to tell you, are you a better man this year than at this time than you were last year? She'll be able to tell you. The problem is maybe this is where it feels unfair is weird, you know, the human person has an infinite capacity for self-delusion, right? So that's the problem is self-assessment. And self-assessment is very dangerous. Yeah, and self-knowledge is as hard to come by. Um, we're just not, because of concupiscence, yeah. uh, we're not disposed to it. 
Oh, what a what a valuable what a valuable book here. Is there anything you learned while you wrote this uh, Devil in the Castle, Dan? Because you you've yes. written on this topic for for a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been in many exorcisms and assisting exorcists, and you know, in particular, one very hairy case, and uh, that affects you. Like it, it when you hear the voice of a demon, it it's. Even as I say it to you now, it has an effect on me um, because the, the things that they say are, are just beyond imagination, horrifying. But the, 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 cont- the, the, the content or the, the tone of the voice? Both, just the whole experience. I mean, just even being lifted off the floor by a frail 70-year-old woman who can barely walk outside of the exorcism, me and three other guys, you know. Is just you all three all oh all yeah three. one guy your size yeah crazy really and yeah so you you have that experience and and I also my you know my mother was involved in the occult when I was young and I had ex- experiences with the demonic I didn't understand that were incredibly disturbing and destructive to me so I've had these ex- life experiences and I sometimes I wonder am I crazy you know because I see and feel the demonic. And, and I sense it's working. And, I, and so when I was re- writing this book, you know, she's a doctor of the church, thanks be to God. I know John of the Cross pretty well too. Yeah. But what, what, if you want to say the hypothesis was, if you will, I, I am properly ordered in my perception about the frequency and the activity of the demonic as normative. And then the test is, does this doctor of the church confirm that or deny that? Does John of the Cross confirm or deny? Does Ignatius confirm or deny? And so yeah. I walked away just settled. You know, I'm not, I am, I'm sane. I, I know what I see. I know what I feel. I know what's true. And, and I, it was a, an affirmation, which is very, I don't always get that, but it was an affirmation. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Well, people should go pick this thing up. The devil in the castle Dan Burke is the author. He's a friend of this show, is a personal friend. And uh, his, his wife, Stephanie, is a friend of Stephanie's and a friend of the show. And we, we, we just always, I'm so enriched by having you on. It's always a different kind of comprehensive conversation you and I have, Dan. And uh, I, hope, I hope this book sells really well. How, how, when did it come out again? Last oh, month? Oh, February. Yeah, it's, it's killing it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really doing very well. Uh, grateful Sophia put it in a hardback, which is, which is nice. Um, but Sophia uh, makes such high quality hardbacks on this. Yes, they do. They do. Well, they I, do. I guess, yeah, they have the crisis imprint and their standard Sophia imprint, but it's, yeah, it's like, there's no dust jacket, which are yeah. always just getting beaten up. And this is a yeah. beautiful, beautiful book. I, I yeah. love, I love their book. Cover. Yeah. It was fun working with the artist. I work with the, with the designer on that, but yeah. So Sophia does a great job. Always great to be with you, Tim. I, I think uh, we fight on different fronts of the war, but, uh, ne- you know, necessary and discipline and focus and uh, really appreciate what you do and appreciate your intellectual honesty and your transparency. And I, the church needs more tough conversation. You know, I was, regarding Stephanie's book, I would tell folks out there, um, whether you agree with it or not, you should read it. Um, because, and, and I think this is one of the gifts that you, you bring to the church, Tim, is, you know, you're immersed in a lot of the things that have been deeply destructive to the human person, the, the culture and the, the health of the church. 
and you're 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 pissed about it you're fighting you're you know you're swinging right and and you're you're swinging really hard you know sometimes when you get in a fight you're you have to be really measured and you have to but you you guys swing really hard and i think it's helpful because it's really challenging and i and i uh, I think uh, Igne- uh, Father or, or Bishop Athanasius Schneider is similar, um, but you know he 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 pushes pretty hard on on key issues, and and people tend to go ah you know it's too much. I don't think it's too much. I think we need to reassess and, and challenge because it's too easy. You know the frog in the kettle thing is a myth, right? It it just doesn't. Tr- it's not true, but the analogy is good. We can, we can tend to be slip into this complacency and we need people like you uh, who push back hard and say, no, no, listen, you shouldn't, this is not the right way to think about it. This is not Christian. This is not sane. Yeah. And so uh, thanks for all your good work and uh, sorry for going on so long. Thanks for all your good work and doing all of that. No, thanks, Dan. Yeah, we always, Steph, Steph is like me. Uh you know, we, we, we let these, these things go. Uh, so we're, we're not slow starters and anyone, you, you people out there uh, with that very kind sort of reintroduction by Dan, you are going to have the opportunity very soon here in two to three weeks to begin repurchasing Steph's embattled book, ask your husband. And uh, you know, it, it, it hits feminists in the mouth, right from the first chapter. So uh Thanks a million, Dan. I also want to, one, one thing I'm very serious about is uh, from, from a republicanism point of view, small r, is the idea of integralism, uh, which has been a big topic over the last two years. The integralists and the post-liberals tend to keep me out of their conferences, but my first book, Catholic Republic, in some ways, I think my most original contribution to this whole configuration of silliness uh, that, that, that we call the blogosphere uh, really deals with what I, I am a sort of integralist. Um, namely, we should at the state level, we have something called the police power. We ought to be able to integrate, you know, legislate morality. We ought to be able to, according to the 10th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, the, the state legislatures should legislate on matters of health, safety, welfare, morals, security. All uh, People mistake me for some kind of uh, libertarian on this issue. That's just not right, simply because I say this should not be done by the federal government. That's not the American system of law, uh, Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. It's not uh, the 10th Amendment. It's supposed to be done by the several state legislatures. So if you want to do away with drag queen story hour, so do I. Make it illegal. You want to do away with porn, so do I. Make it illegal. But at the state level, this is also the Catholic teaching, subsidiarity. It must be done at the, by the more local government, not the more distant government. And therefore, because that's such a big part of what I push, one of my four, five, six key agenda points, I say you have to relocate to a state that makes sense for a conservative Catholic to live in, for a conservative Christian to live in, slightly more ecumenically. You should live someplace near Dan or myself in the Southeast, in the South, known as the Southeast here. I live in Mississippi. Uh, Dan lives nearby. I'm not sure if you 
have revealed what state you live in, but one of the nearby states in the beautiful, noble American South. And realestateforlife.org helps people to do that. I, a lot of people listen to me about going to Real Estate for Life because they know it's not a superficial endorsement. They know it comes straight from the heart. It comes straight from my first book. You, we have to live in places that are res publicas, like St. Augustine says, where we actually hold something in common. You can't do so anymore in the satanic blue states in satanic 2022. So go to realestateforlife.org. That's a long uh, a more ideologically centered endorsement than I normally do, but people do know it's sincere for me. God bless you all. Uh, tomorrow night, I think it's 7.45 Central Time. Go to Quite Frankly's channel. Just look it up. That's where we'll be doing the Windswept House reading group all about uh, the devil in the castle. And, and, and the castle about which Malachi Martin wrote Windswept House is the Vatican itself, the devil in the Vatican itself. Anyway, read the first hundred pages by tomorrow if you want to engage in that. Dan, Burke, thank you so much. God bless you and Stephanie, and uh, come back. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.